who came here. Okay, good morning, everybody, and welcome back after a wonderful summer, I hope, for everybody, and a break in this uh, busy life that we all lead. So here we are. It is the month of Elul, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And um, the month of Elul is really considered to be the happiest month of the year. It's actually considered to be even a happier month than the month of Adar. But we know that the month of Elul has a mixed message. On the one hand, the reason why it's such a happy month is because it's the month of love. It's really the month, it's really Valentine's Day, if you like, between Hashem and the Jewish people. Okay? It's the month of love. It's the month of closeness. Everybody can hear me okay? Yeah? Okay. It's it's an incredible opportunity to connect, reconnect to Hashem and develop our special relationship that we have with him as a people and individually. Each one of us has this opportunity. So I just want to share with you something that I find fascinating. We know that the Jewish year is like a circle and all of the different Hagim are related to each other. They all run into each other and their themes kind of connect to each other. So in terms of Elul, we kind of have to go back in time to the 17th of Tammuz, which is the day that Moses came down from Har Sinai, from Mount Sinai and saw the Jewish people worshiping the golden calf, right? And broke the Luchot. And we have to look at Tisha B'Av a little bit and that time period in order to understand what Elul is and what's going on in the events of Jewish history. Because we know, and we've talked about this, that Jewish time is not only linear. It's not just the historical timeline that your history teacher put on the board in every history class, right? But rather Jewish time is cyclical. It's like a spiral. And every year when we come back to Pesach, to Sukkot, to Hanukkah, it's not that we're just commemorating something that happened way back then. We actually can tap into the spiritual energies that were released into the world at that time because of those events in terms of what was going on between God and the Jewish people. And we can use those energies through the mitzvot that frame that particular time period to access greater connection to Hashem and obviously spiritual growth. So let's go back a little bit to Tisha B'Av. What do we do on Tisha B'Av? And this is from Rabbi Adler, uh, my Shul Rabbi, said this a couple years ago, and I just think it's very profound. He said, basically, Rabbi Adler says that in order for growth to take place in the natural world, the seed has to go through a rotting process. It's only after destruction that rebirth begins. And it's not a violent process, as we know with the seed. You plant the seed in the ground, but it's a slow and natural development that only after the seed rots, rebirth takes place. By the way, this is a remez, a hint 
to how we can see Tachias Hamesim, resurrection of the dead, one of the 13 fundamental principles of faith, right? The Rambam wrote that to be a Jew, to be a believing Jew, you have to believe in certain principles. And one of them is the idea of resurrection of the dead. And the truth is, is we might think this is a crazy idea, but we know that when you plant a seed into the ground, it's only when it begins to rot and decompose that new life shoots up and begins rebirth. So too, Tachias Amesim is the idea that you literally plant a human being in the ground through burial, and one day in the future, that, so to speak, decomposing, rotting process will result in a new, better, reborn being, okay? We're not talking about that subject today, but just to know that you know, the idea of a caterpillar changing into a butterfly. There are things in the natural world that show us that the same way it seems miraculous in the physical world, that something that's rotten or something that seems dead all of a sudden reemerges in a new form, like the caterpillar and the butterfly. Um, I once heard a sheer on that. The caterpillar is literally dead at one point inside the that capsule that he in, in, encircles himself in. And yet the butterfly emerges from this. So we see it in nature. And that's why it helps us to believe that it actually is something that will happen. But that's not my, my, my topic. But I just, I, I just wanted to expound on that a little bit. So what Rabbi Adler explains is when we sit on the floor in Tisha B'Av, what we're doing is we're simulating this process of, so to speak, planting ourselves into the earth and experiencing rebirth. We sit on the earth on Tisha B'Av, which of course represents sitting in our desolation. And why are we so desolate <clears throat> on Tisha B'Av? What happened historically on Tisha B'Av? Well, we know that Tisha B'Av was the day that Hashem wanted to take us into the land of Israel, right? And we didn't want to go. We said, we want to send spies. We want to make check this land out. We want to make sure... You know, we can conquer it, etc. And of course, the spies return with an evil report with Lushan Hara about the land, right? There's giants there. It's too hard. There's for they're fortified there. We're not going to be able to do it. And it goes on and on where the Jews become, they get themselves to such a state that they actually start saying, Hashem, you hate us, right? You want you want to kill us, you want to take us to this land. And, and and we can't do it. And they completely give up on the dream of Eretz Yisrael, on their emuna, which they you would expect them to have in Hashem, that he said, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to take you into the land. You don't have to worry about it. But all of that runs away from them. And of course, we know that Tisha B'Av was the day of crying. And God says to the Jewish people, like we mothers often say to our children, you know, you're crying for nothing. I will give you something to cry about, right? And Tisha B'Av becomes the day of crying for, for, you know, from that point until today. So what do we do? We sit on the ground and we mourn the fact, really what we're mourning is our lack of belief in ourselves and our lack of belief in Hashem's promise and power to take care of us. 
right? Which has nothing to do with whether or not we're deserving, by the way. Of course, we're supposed to be trying to do the, keep the Torah and do the mitzvah. But Hashem's love for us is unbreakable. And whether we deserve it or not, as long as we yearn for that connection, Hashem will be there for us. And what else do we do before Rosh Hashanah in this time period? We visit the kfarim of our ancestors, right? We know it's a custom to go to the cemetery and say hello to your the generations that went before us. And again, it's the idea that we're connecting to those who are in the earth. So from Tisha B'Av until Rosh Chodesh Elul, which was about 11 days ago, I believe, the decaying process continues. And what happens is in Elul, we start to feel the rebirth. Okay, this is when the green shoot is beginning to come up through the earth. And Elul is the time where we can renew ourselves and our relationship with Hashem. So what was going on in Jewish history at this time between Tisha B'Av and Elul? So this is the time when Moshe was up on Mount Sinai praying for 40 days that Hashem forgive us. For those of you, just to get this straight, there were three periods of 40 days, okay? There was the first 40 days when Moshe goes up to the mountain to get the first set of tablets. That was on the 6th of Sivan, okay? We know what happens. He comes down, it's the 17th of Tammuz, and he witnesses the Jews dancing around a golden calf. He breaks the Luchot. He says to Moshe, that's it. I'm done with this people. I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to start over again with you, Moshe. Moshe goes back up to the mountain for another 40 days. From the 17th of Tammuz until the last day of Av, meaning up until the first of Elul. And during that time, he pleads with God to forgive the Jewish people. Okay, and he spends 40 days up there talking to Hashem, you know, if you're going to start with me and get rid of everybody else, then just erase me from your Torah. I don't want to, I'm the leader of these people for good and for bad. Please don't destroy them, right? He learns the 13 mitos of Rachamim. You're all familiar with that? In Shemos, Moshe asks God, what's the secret of forgiveness? And God tells Moshe, when you recite these 13 mitos of Rachamim, we all know the tune. Hashem, Hashem, Kel Rachum, Bechanun, Erech Apayim, Berav Chesed, Be'emes. We're going to be singing that a lot in the coming days, right? God tells Moshe the secret, the secret magical ingredient for forgiveness. When the Jewish people say these words, I can't help but move, so to speak, from my throne of justice, of pure judgment, to my throne of compassion and mercy. So God reveals a secret to him. And of course, we know the Jew Moshe comes down on Rosh Chodesh Elul to tell the Jewish people they've been forgiven. He goes back up now for the third set of 40 days. It's alluded to in the words, Ani Lidodi Vidodi Li. Every single one of those words ends with the letter Yud. 
Yud equals 10. 10 times 4 is 40, right? From the month of Elul until Yom Kippur, there are 40 days. On Yom Kippur, we know Hashem comes down with the second set of tablets and the Jewish people are forgiven. Okay, so I just wanted you to really understand why this is a time right now where there's an incredible opportunity for closeness and creating relationship with Hashem. We know it says, HaMelech Basadeh, the king is in the field. The king who's normally all year long in his palace. And if you want to access him, you have to make an appointment. You probably have to wait for many months until you're allowed to enter the inner domain and make your requests. But right now in Elul, this month of love and connection, the king is close. There's a kirvas Hashem, a closeness and connection to Hashem that we want to take advantage of. He wants to give us everything that we need. Health, wealth, shaduchim, parnasa, happiness, joy, Yiddish anachas, all the things that we need. And all we need to do in this month is show him that we want this closeness. We want this connection. We have to believe, again, that Hashem's love for us is unconditional. Now, of course, like every parent, we have expectations of our children. We want them to perform. We want them to reach their potential. We want them to maximize all of the gifts and blessings that they have. And God, like a parent, feels the same way about us. But bottom line, a mother's love for their child, even if they make mistakes, even if they go astray, even when they mess up, is unconditional. There's both at the same time, right? The expectations and the unconditional. And so too with Hashem. And this is a time where we have to understand that no matter how we've strayed, we are loved and cherished always. And Elul is the month where we don't spend time looking back and feeling guilty and saddened by our mistakes. But I like to think it's like coaching, you know, coaching, the difference between coaching and therapy is coaching is very present oriented. Where are you right now? And where do you want to get to? And I think that's really what Ella is about. Where am I right now? And how can I increase my love and connection and relationship with Hashem so that when Rosh Hashanah comes, I'm only too happy to, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, as much as I'm afraid of judgment, I understand that the judgment's coming from a loving father, someone who cares for me. So again, the month of Elul, we say an expression, Dirshu Hashem Vahimatso, search for Hashem when he can be found. And we have a mashal from Devarim, Lamed Gimel, where God is described as an eagle who swoops down and sees his eaglets in the nest, and he hovers over the nest and he tells the babies jump onto my back, jump onto my back and I'll soar with you up to heaven. It's just interesting that we have a source in the Torah about an eagle 
right? When, when the Jewish people leave Mitzrayim, it says that God took you out on eagle's wings. So we learn in the Torah everything about the physical world, the spiritual world. And we actually learn an interesting fact about an eagle. An eagle, which is the heaviest bird, as we've learned in other classes, is also the one that flies higher than any other bird. Because of this, it's the only bird that doesn't hold its babies in its claws, okay? All other birds hold their babies in their claws because they're afraid of a bird that flies higher than them, that if their babies were on their back, they would be, right? They would be snatched. So they hold them in their claws to be protective. It's only the eagle who flies the highest that doesn't have to worry about anybody snatching, right? From its claws. And yet... It says that the eagle, the only fear that the eagle it has is from the arrow of man. That a man might come and be able to shoot an arrow. And of course, if the babies are in the eagle's claws, the babies will be hit. So it's only the eagle that puts its eaglets on its back. But that's not really the point. What I really want to say, that's just an aside. But but what I want to say is the idea here is that the eagle comes, he rustles the branches near the nest. He comes very gently to wake up the babies, the eaglets. And then he says to them, jump on my back. And that is an image for Elul. Hashem says, you don't have to do very much, right? We say the word, I am for my beloved, the dodi li. And my beloved is for me. In this phrase, we have the idea that we make the first move, right? Hashem is there. He's accessible. But he says, but you have to jump up. Like those baby eagles, you have to make that little bit of effort. And then I'll take you the rest of the way, right? We have another saying in Hebrew and English, I'll say it, that if you open your heart, to the point of the of the tip of a pin, God says, I'll open it the rest of the way. I'll open it to the size of a ballroom. So again, it's that little bit of effort, that desire to come closer, to reconnect to Hashem, who is really the source of our being and the essence of who we really are. As we know, the word teshuva, which is very often translated as repentance, which is not such a pretty word. It's not a word we like. It sounds very Christian to us, if you like. Really, lashuv means to return. And the idea is, again, that you cannot return to somewhere that you never were. Return implies that you were already there. And we know, we have this idea that when we were in the womb of our, of our mother, we were taught the entire Torah there's 40 days, again, the number 40. Judaism teaches from the time of conception until somebody becomes a viable embryo. During that time, we're being taught Torah. And of course, we know the medrash, that when we leave the womb, an angel taps us right here under the nose. Your index finger fits perfectly there. <laughs> and we forget everything we've learned. But the idea is, is that we once knew it. 
And this period of time that we're in right now is this period of returning, returning to what we once knew, returning to the essence of ourselves and our soul and our connection to Hashem. And all we have to do is make this little jump. Search for Hashem when he can be found. Okay, so on the one hand, Elul is this month of love and connection. On the other hand, this month has a very mixed message because we have Anila Dodi Vidodili, right? This love fest that's going on. But we know that every single morning of Elul, the shofar is blowing. And the shofar is coming to say, the judgment day is on its way, right? Get ready for the judgment day. Begin to scrutinize your deeds, right? Return to Hashem. The judge is coming to judge the land. He's going to judge each one of us as an individual and as a community, right? In the word ani, interestingly, the aleph stands for one, number one, which is the individual. The yud of ani is number 10, which is a minion, meaning community, that God judges us both as an individual and as a community. And the nun actually represents the number 50, which are the 50 gates of wisdom, which represent Torah. So we're being judged, so to speak, vis-a-vis our relationship to Torah, our the, the mitzvot that we do, and our connection through Torah as an individual in a community in terms of how well we're doing. So we have Anila Dodiva Dodili, right? This closeness. But on the other hand, we have this idea in Elo that we're preparing for our court case. And just like the eagle that hovers over the nest and wakes the eagles gently, this is month of Elul is where Hashem is gently awakening us to the idea that our court case is pending and it's coming soon, okay? So what we have here in the month of Elul is this co-mingling of love and fear, love and connection, fear and trepidation of the fact that the king who loves me, as the class is called, is going to judge me. He cares and it matters what I do. We know that there's an image on Yom Kippur, the month of Tishrei, that comes after Elul, which is the month of the scales, right? That every single human being is supposed to see the, see the world as perfectly balanced between good and evil. And they're supposed to look at themselves in terms of the incredible power that they have, that my next act, or my non-act by not doing, which is also can be a problem, right? Can tip the scale for good or for the opposite. That is the power of the individual that Hashem gives us. And when we see ourselves with that kind of ability to affect the world, we understand that it matters what we do and it matters to Hashem what we do. So we have these two contrary, so to speak, emotions. In Tehillim, David HaMelech says, it, he expresses this idea. He says, Gilui bir ada, rejoice with trembling. Again, two opposite emotions that somehow we're supposed to hold together at the same time. 
He also says unto him, Eve do es Hashem, Yira, serve Hashem with fear, with awe, with trepidation. Okay. So I brought this down last year, but I always love this and it relates very well to women. Okay. So Revolba says that when you have a special guest coming to your home, somebody who you really admire, somebody who's called you up and said, Sally, I'm coming to Toronto and I want to stay with you. And this is somebody, maybe an old friend, maybe somebody who was a mentor, maybe a teacher that you loved as a kid. You can imagine who it might be, right? And they want to come and stay with you. So on the one hand, you're like incredibly excited. You can't believe that of all the people in Toronto, they're choosing you. But on the other hand, this joy and excitement is mixed with this fear and dread that things are not going to be good enough for this revered person in your life. And all of a sudden you start looking around your home with new eyes. You notice that, you know, your carpet has a stain on it that you've tried to get out for years, but you just gave up, right? Or your curtains need to be refreshed. Or you're not sure that bed that they're going to sleep on, you know, has any springs left in it, okay? So the point is, is on the one hand, you're and then you start thinking about the menu, right? What am I going to serve them? What are they going to eat? And if you have kids at home, you're worried, you know, are they going to behave themselves when, the, when this guest comes, etc., okay? So again, on the one hand, you're very excited, very happy about it. On the other hand, together with that, you have this fear and dread that things are not going to be up to the standard that you would like it to be for this very special guest. So this is the idea of Hashem coming to judge the land, right? On the one hand, we get to have this closeness and connection and the king is accessible and he says, Come close to me. I want to come visit you, right? On the other hand, we're not sure whether we're up to snuff. We know that we don't want to do anything that will hurt the relationship, the connection, the closeness and love that we feel. So this is the idea. Now, it's interesting that there's two types of fear. There's the fear that paralyzes. There's the fear that creates panic. There's the fear of consequences. And this type of fear is very, it's very difficult for it to coexist with love. Okay. The Rambam actually calls this, Maimonides, the fear of tipshin, of silly people. Okay. I'm going to not do that because I don't want to get punished. I don't want to get sent to my room. I don't want the keys to be taken away from me. It's not because I love my parents or I, I, I respect them or because I'm afraid of hurting them or I don't want to do anything to upset the relationship. It's simply because if I do something negative, I'm going to experience pain. And the human condition is that we run from pain, right? We run towards pleasure. The same way a flower will bend its head towards the sun, reaching for the sun, so too a human being is wired to run towards pleasure and run away from pain. So the Rambam says this kind of fear is for silly people because change does not really occur 
on any deep level. Any kind of change in a kid's behavior to be able to get what they want or not have the consequences, right, is momentary. It's for that moment. And, and one of the mashalim that they give is with Paro, with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. As soon as Moshe relents and takes away a plague, Pharaoh doesn't make good on his promises to let the Jewish people go. So it's only when he's in fear, when he's worried about the consequences that he promises, okay, 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 just take it away and I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. But as soon as he's relieved or released from that kind of fear, there's no change. There's nothing that happens. Okay, so this kind of fear is selfish. It's self-centered. It's a fear based on what's going to happen to me. And it doesn't coexist healthily with love. Okay. So Rob Pincus talks about people who have a relationship with Hashem that's like a vending machine. You know, you put money in the Coke machine, you press the button, and the Coke is supposed to come out. And of course, if the Coke doesn't come out, what do people do? Sarah, what do people do? They start banging on the machine, they start kicking it, they start shaking it, right? And Rafinka says, some people have this kind of relationship with Hashem. I'll put in a few mitzvahs, right? I'll do some chesed. I'll, I'll go to shul. I'll, uh, whatever it is, I'll buy kosher food if you like, whatever it is. And then Hashem, you're going you're gonna to deliver. You better give me what I want. I'm going to press the right buttons and the Coke's supposed to come out. Okay. And this kind of relationship obviously is not built on closeness. It's not built on connection. It's simply built on getting what I want. And there are many people, people who walk around in very religious garb who have this mentality, right? And if Hashem doesn't deliver, what's wrong? What's going on? I thought this was supposed to be a foolproof method of getting God to do what I want him to do, right? In other words, not that we're made in God's image, but we make God in our image. You know, he's supposed to do what I want to do. And this is the kind of relationship that we can actually get very caught up in during this time period. You know, when we get very heavily into this idea of I'm going to change myself completely, I'm going to be better, I'm going to do more mitzvahs. And sometimes what happens is we take on number one more than we can chew. Or we get so paralyzed with the fear of having to be great in this month and change ourselves completely that rather than walking around and serving Hashem with happiness, which is the number one ingredient for closeness to Hashem, for serving Hashem, we walk around with a miserable look of misplaced piety on our face, right? Paralyzed with fear that we've got to fix ourselves up immediately and sometimes again first of all back to the vending machine idea the idea that if i put in the right coins or more coins or whatever it is god will give me what i need on judgment day and this is not the right kind of mindset okay because ultimately and foundationally our relationship with hashem is all about that relationship the same God that gives me what I need and does good for me, that I thank, 
is the same God that sends me challenges that sometimes doesn't give me what I need and also loves me equally, right? Whether he's doing one or the other. That's the true type of understanding of Hashem Echad, which we say every day. I was telling my sister, it means the good, the bad, and the ugly. They're all coming from one and the same source. It's not like the Christian idea of, you know, God is fighting Satan and God only does good. And it's that evil Satan that's doing anything that's negative, And they're constantly at war with each other. No, this is deism. This is not Judaism. This is not monotheism. Is that door closed, Sarah? Okay. Sorry, my, my one live student is going to do a very big chesed right now and close the door. See, that's why you need real people. I'm sorry. Otherwise, I'd have to do it. That wouldn't be right. Just kidding. Thanks, Sarah. Better give a clap to Sarah, your live representative. Sarah, you should sit right there because then I can look at you. Just kidding. It's okay. You're, you're learning. Okay, good. Um, okay, so... Rav Orlowick and others say, again, in the olden days, Elul was all of the writings about Elul were very heavy on the fear aspect. But our generation and the generations previous to us had a very difficult time. We have a very difficult time with the emotion of fear. And that's why, especially women, who, as I've said many times, naturally beat themselves up all the time, right? I'm not a good enough wife. I'm not a good enough mother. I didn't do that right. I'm not a good enough friend. Whatever it is, we are very self-critical, generally speaking. When you add on Elul and all of that fear and all of that, you know, paralyzing type of fear, it's not good for our avodat Hashem, for our connection with Hashem. So the number one thing that all of the rabbis of today say, especially when it comes to women, is you have to be working on yourself with joy, with happiness. We have to work, right? Hashem, so to speak, do our work of being an Eved Hashem with Simcha, right? Simcha is an important ingredient together with Ahava, love of Hashem, and Yirat Hashem, you need them all, but Simcha has to be the foundation. Okay, so the other kind of Yira, which we talked about, which is the positive type of Yira, is called Yira Taromamut. It's based on appreciating the other person's greatness. It's a fear that comes from the juxtaposition of my smallness next to their greatness. It's like standing at the foot of Mount Kilimanjaro before you begin the climb, or if some of you went camping this summer, looking up at the stars at night, on a, sitting on the side of a lake or ocean, <coughs> and feeling your smallness relative to the expansive universe of which God was the creator, right? And this is not a negative feeling. This is a feeling where you feel enlivened where you feel a certain joy in the reality of knowing your smallness compared to the largeness and vastness that's in front of you. 
And this is what we call Yiras Haromamus. This is a higher level Yira. This is what the Rambam calls the proper type of Yira. Again, you recognize the greatness of this guest that's coming to visit you. You're so amazed that they've chosen to come to you and you're going to be in close proximity with them. At the same time, the fear is, I want everything to be perfect. I want to make sure that everything is exactly as good as it can be. I'm going to check my environment the same way right now we're supposed to be checking our internal environment because the king is coming to judge us, right? I want to be the best inside that I can be. I want to work on my mitzvah. Now, how do we do this? And this is where I want to end. What Rebetzin Dina Schoonmaker says and other um, thinkers on this subject, they say the work of Elul is not to focus on the things that aren't good enough or that you're not doing. As they once said, I can't remember who it was, oy they to those, oy they to those who don't know their weaknesses, but oy void to the people who don't know their strengths. Okay? Because the work of Elul, and I just gave this over at a bungalow colony last week, and one woman said, thank you for that. I've never heard anybody say something like that, and it was so refreshing. So this is what I want to end with today, that the work of El is to take what you're already good at, the mitzvahs that you're already doing, and widen them, strengthen them, do them even better, put your signature on them. You know, when you put something out for Shabbos and you decorate the plate or you put something to make it look even more luscious and edible, right? So take what you're already doing, something that you already enjoy, a mitzvah that you already enjoy and are good at, widen it, deepen it, make it your signature mitzvah, okay? And that's the idea and the goal of Elul. So for example, say your brachas more slowly if you're already saying them with a little bit more kavana. Stop and think. Did I say my after brachas? So many people say their beginning brachas, but run off, run away from the table and forget to say, you know, after I've eaten, thank you. We might say the beginning bracha, which is really saying, please, can I have this to Hashem? Can I have permission to eat this food which you created? But, you know, just like human nature, once we're satiated, oops, I forgot to say thank you. So be aware of the after bracha, which is something that a lot of people forget. Choose one thing to do better in three categories, okay? Between you and yourself, maybe you need more self-care. We've talked about that. Self-care is a mitzvah to get yourself something, to forgive yourself something new, to, to do something with a friend, take time out. Make sure you're doing chesed for yourself. That's Avodas Hashem, right? Something between you and other people, whether it's someone in your circle one, those closest to you, a relationship that needs fixing, that needs your input, that you need to be doing more and giving more to, this is the time, right? How am I treating other people? How do I treat Hashem's children? He's watching. He wants you to be treating his children 
with forgiveness, with compassion, with love. We know this principle, the way you judge other people is exactly the way measure for measure that Hashem will judge you. If you're exacting and you stand on principle and nothing they do is good enough, that's exactly the way Hashem will judge you. And if you find excuses for them and you're compassionate and you're forgiving and you judge favorably, that's exactly mida keneged mida, measure for measure, the way Hashem will judge you. So that's what we need to do. Our job is not to be the judge. Hashem is the judge. And finally, our relationship with Hashem, right? This is the time that we can tighten the connection in all of these areas. This is the time where we can develop ourselves in this incredible month of positivity, of closeness, where the king just wants our, our sugar daddy in the sky, if you like, just wants to give us everything we want. He wants to bear hug us. And this same, this same Tati, this same Tati and Himmel, this same father is, yes, he has expectations from us. He is going to judge us and make sure that we're on program. Last idea, which I'll end with, Rosh Hashanah, we know, is the birthday of the world. It doesn't commemorate the first day of creation. It commemorates the sixth day of creation. The sixth day of creation is when man was created. On Rosh Hashanah, Hashem judges all mankind, not just the Jewish people. He looks down at his world, which he created, with man as its pinnacle, right? And he basically looks at each individual and he says, are you with me or are you against me? Are you part of the solution or are you part of the problem? Are you doing your job? Are you growing yourself? Are you getting realigned with my purpose for the world? Or are you in the way? Just like an, an employer every year judges, who am I keeping on? Who am I giving a raise to? And who do I need to get rid of? Because God forbid, right? None of us. Because they're not doing their job. Okay, ladies, thank you so much for tuning in. I love seeing you again. Welcome back. A happy, healthy new year. I can say that already. Lashana Tova as we get ready in this wonderful month. And thank you. I'd love you to come back in person. I'd love to see you at the Village Shul. So please come and join Sarah and I. We promise there's lots of room. There's couches. I'm in the fireplace room here. It's very fantastic. In the winter, they'll put a fire on for us. We won't breathe on each other. We'll hold our breath for 60 minutes, and it'll be great. Okay. Thank you. Anybody want to ask anything?